couple years ago, I was sitting down, uh, taking a break from my job at The Athletic Media Company, and uh, I was drinking a non-alcoholic beer from Athletic Brewing, and I thought, uh, hey, this this could be a partnership because I'm, I'm an ad wizard, and so I put those two things together, and took a couple years, but now I get to read ads for Athletic Brewing and uh, their non-alcoholic beers, and I'm excited about it. And I'm excited about it because I like the product. I like the product for a variety of different reasons. There are times where I'm uh, the designated driver, and that is, it's perfect for me. I don't feel like I'm, I'm missing out on a whole lot. There are also times where I'm not the designated driver, but it's going to be a long day of gabbing, and I don't necessarily need to have 10 IPAs in a row. So I will mix in an athletic, non-alcoholic beer, and I, I feel like I don't miss a beat, and it allows me to pace myself uh, the way I want to do it. It's perfect for beach days, music festivals, and baseball games, camping, late nights. Uh, they have a ton of different varieties. They have uh, light. They have upside uh, Don Golden. They have Run Wild IPA. They have a hazy IPA. They have summer seasonals. They've got a, a lemon Rattler ripe pursuit. I don't even know what a Rattler is, but now I want to try it. I feel bad that I haven't tried it. So this summer, ask for the only non-alcoholic beer you need to know, Athletic. Head to askforathletic.com to find it near you and use the code TA2024 to get 15% off your first online order. That's code TA2024 at checkout for 15% off. It's near beer, non-alcoholic beer, and it tastes Listen, I grew up with some funky ones. Uh, those didn't taste like beer. This tastes like this. This is good non-alcoholic beer. Uh, exclusions and conditions apply. Athletic Brewing Company, fit for all times. Welcome to the Athletic MBA Show. Monday through on the Athletic Podcast Network. From the Golden Gate to the New York Bay. What I have access to is a bit different than the public. Tamper with you. Welcome to Tampering. We're this beautiful game of basketball that we all love and talk about every single day. With Sam Payne, Anthony Slater, uh-huh. and Fred Katz. To be able to bring people together. Reportedly at the center of an NBA investigation. Into tampering accusations. And the message to executives in the league is not talking about players on other teams. What did I do? And the charges filed. Impermissible contact. Is right or wrong? Tampering charges are really difficult to prove. You know me, I talk. It's <laughs> <laughs> awkward to even talk about it. I can't even mention teams anymore. Actually, what I like to play with Kevin Durant. The trial, you're one with tampering. They're always ahead of the rules. It's not rocket science. Hey, man, I tamper with the guys. I didn't tamper. I'm just telling you what happened. I'm just telling you what happened. Here's your host, Sam Amick. Hello, and welcome to the Tampering Podcast, part of the Athletic NBA Show Network. I'm Sam Amick, NBA National Writer at The Athletic, here with the one, the only, Anthony Slater on the West Coast in Warriors World. Slater, what's up, brother? I'm good. I'm actually sitting in the press conference room at Chase Center. The Washington Wizards currently out shooting around. I uh, just saw some Wizards walking through as I... You know, kind of traversed around the arena, and I'm sitting eh, somewhat adjacent to where Bob Myers just delivered a pretty, you know, I wouldn't call it like an explosive or, you know, detailed press conference, but it was interesting timing considered he had continually pushed back his post trade deadline press conference until they finally completed the longest trade saga in recent memory. 
Indeed. In today's show, we are going to tackle that. Uh, it's not it's not hyperbole to call it a controversy. This is a controversy. We're going to get into that. Nobody, obviously, better positioned to analyze it than yourself, Mr. Slater. Uh, but we're going to unpack the trade deadline kind of kind of postscript as well, if you will. Uh, and I'm looking forward to that. Everything from KD to Phoenix, Kyrie to Dallas, the Lakers, what they did. Kind of a West-heavy show because the West is where a lot of teams got better, I think. Um like we said last week, the new exciting development on the Athletic NBA Show pod is we are also doing this and coming at you on YouTube. So make sure you check that out. Like, subscribe, all of the above. Um, get to look at our, our pretty mugs on there as well. But uh, Slater, let's start with Mr. Gary Payton II. When this deal, four-team trade, first goes down for the Warriors' purposes, you get a familiar face back in the building, a guy who is an absolute dog defensively who did some really good things in the playoff run last year hit open threes was an you know a, a plus impact player for them and as you know really well we've written on this and talked about this i think even a more nuanced benefit and value to gary coming back because you sent that message to the old heads you know the Stephs and the draymonds and and the clays that you know we are still focusing on the present trying to give you help right now so that was a lot of their motive and then, you know, they they part ways with James Wiseman going to Detroit and that deal, get off some tax money in the process. And, and it seemed like that was the way to go. Uh, pick it up from there. I mean, we, we know how this thing is unraveled, but uh, tell us. Yeah. So, I mean, they get him in the building. Let me do my math here. Friday uh, morning and take him through a physical and the physical reveals to them that Gary Payton's going to be out a while. You know, that their medical team came to the conclusion that, you know, it's it has to do with the adductor and the core, and, and, and it goes back, obviously, to the summer when I believe in July, post-NBA finals, he gets the adductor surgery, or the core surgery that um, knocks him out, ends up being the first 35 games of the regular season, and if you go back to that timeline, as you can remember, Sam, it was like, maybe ready for the start of the regular season, Two weeks evaluation. Two weeks, you know, they kept pushing it down the road. Um, it really lingered. He eventually did come back post Christmas, um, and you know, even in his comments, you know, after coming back, was was made it pretty clear he wasn't fully himself at that point. And he's he's been in and out of the lineup, but he's been playing lately, uh, including when, which is like kind of a, an odd twist. All of this, like they played the Warriors on Wednesday. And he started, he actually started because Josh Hart gets pulled off the court like five minutes before tip-off because he's just been traded to the Knicks. It's like, who's starting? Okay, Gary Payton is. It was the first time he'd played the Warriors. Um, there was a lot of, you know, like Jordan Poole talking post game about going against his, his former teammate. And then, you know, fast forward to Thursday, they make this trade that we're talking about, this four-teamer, which sends Sadiq Bay to Atlanta. They're, you know, um, you know, Detroit's obviously involved getting Wiseman. They they get wrapped into this four-team deal, and then Peyton gets here. And because, in large part, their objective going into the deadline was to use James Wiseman to get a win-now player. And then their medical team told them, the front office, the ownership group, he can't play now. You can't have, you know, he isn't a win-now player because he's going to be out, and now they're saying at least a month. They are reevaluating him a month from now. And they're hoping maybe pre-playoffs. But the problem for them right now is this isn't a Warriors of last season where they have a stable, you know, position in the standings. They're ninth right now. And the next month really matters. And and they don't have Gary Payton. And then that obviously, you know, I guess sparks them to to go through this weekend saga that that fun, finally wraps up what Sunday right before the, the Super Bowl starts, 
where you kind of knew they were going to accept the trade, but you know, it kind of seemed like it was like a protest wait. And also they have nudged the league to launch an investigation that, that I don't even know how long that's going to take. So Bob Myers, like you said, addressed the media today. I saw the stuff you tweeted out about his comments. He's keeping it somewhat close to the vest for legal purposes. And he was pretty candid about that. Uh, quick disclaimer, though, on this conversation, and this is not ideal, but that's all right. We'll we'll make do. You know, Gary is likely going to talk tonight, and we don't have that perspective just yet. So, you know, that'll change part of this conversation. But but let me throw it to you this way. You know, there's a lot of layers to this situation. You know, there right out the gate, there was a perception that Gary had you know been pushed by the Blazers to play. You know, reporting on on painkillers, which we now understand to be you know Toradol pills that were taken to manage pain as opposed to, and this is the Blazers perspective, uh, manage pain as opposed to, you know, get out on the floor and push through as, you know, the way it was kind of put to me is a loose parallel, I guess, is this was not like an old, you know, any given Sunday scene where a guy's getting, you know, shoved out on the field. That's, that's what they are defensive about. Um, but I don't think, you know, I don't think, I mean, the two sides don't agree on how this went down. Clearly Um, not because, because Gary's playing, you know, Wednesday and then now the Warriors are like he's out a month and nothing happened in between so right like it, it is it's two medical staffs clearly disagreeing again as you mentioned you know Bob even brought up HIPAA today that's like you know it, publicly I think it's it's tough for them to get too too much into uh, the the grittier details but look, say I mean we don't need to get too much into it Sam and and you know maybe Gary Payton will will talk for himself later tonight but it was there was some thorniness clearly behind the scenes with, with Gary and in Portland this season and in his comeback, uh, and that and that's part of the reason. Look, they signed him this offseason. They traded him by the deadline. Do you feel again? It's tough because he'll speak for himself. But um, in terms of him playing for the Blazers, and, and you know when he did this year, what what intel has come your way to this point regarding you know like him the the difference between him wanting to be out there, choosing to be out there. Versus feeling some pressure to be out there. Again, um, I would like for him to do his press conference tonight and, and, and kind of speak for himself. But it was indications are he's kind of being nudged, you know, um, within this season. I mean, sure. and they like he was their big offseason signing. You know, they gave him a three year deal. They 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 pried him away from the defending champs. Um, I think. There was understandable pressure in this season for the Blazers, right? You know they have they have gone for this this win now, Damian Lillard path, and uh, you know their biggest offseason addition was was struggling to get himself back on the court, and and even and, and I brought this up to to Bob Myers, even when he was on the court, he did not look like himself. He only had three dunks all season, right? Um, and you know that it's part of why you know the question for the Warriors is like did like how much did you press the Blazers on the fact of like where was he at health wise? Bob's not getting into too much detail about that. He just mentioned the fact like look he played against us, started against us the night before, but um, Gary clearly wasn't himself. You know what? And, and I'm I think you're making the right move, and let's not go too far down the Gary perspective. He'll speak for himself. But the one thing that does come to mind that is fair context for me, Slater, is that. The Damian Lillard adductor injury is the same injury that, that Damian went through last year. And if you talk to him, it started long before then. And, and one thing I found so interesting about Damian's situation is that, you know, he, when he came back this year and was a monster right out the gate, you know, 30 plus almost every single night, I remember talking to him when he came through Sacramento about, 
just his health and the idea that even at times when he had been on the floor last year when he was trying to come back, that like it was he was not the same guy. This is an incredibly slow injury to recover from. It seems like Gary had had you know chosen again. He can speak to if he was nudged or not, but chosen to play through a certain level of pain. Uh, chosen to play in spite of the fact that he knew he wasn't all the way back. And and it just kind of begs the question, you know, exactly how the Warriors saw it. Because, I mean, the dunking stat that you drop is is pretty insightful, I think. You know, that's a, a revelatory type of thing that'll tell you if a guy has his pop. Uh, but just, I guess, generally speaking, this injury is is brutal to come back from. Yeah. Uh, I, from what I've gathered, there's a level of, like, weakness that needs to be strengthened, too, I think is part of it. Um, and you know, that's the Warriors now will take control of that situation, that rehab process, um, with, you know, at the same time that Steph Curry's kind of going through something similar. So it's, uh, and that the big thing here clearly is, is the Warriors just don't believe that they were given the proper information that this is what they were taking on. You know, that they were basically taking on a month of Gary Payton, the second rehab. They thought they were, had a rotation player Saturday night. Right. And, and they just don't believe that the Blazers provided the the requisite information. And we will see what the league thinks. You know what right. I mean? Like, at least you presume you're going to have an unbiased jury here, whatever you want to call it. Right. To whatever degree you can, uh, and let's attack this from another angle, can you please try to pull the curtain back on, you know, the last couple of days from Joe Lacob on down? You know, I mean, Joe, personality-wise, I mean, I can only imagine – how pissed off he was, how frustrated he was. And, you know, that's the stuff that we don't, we're not ever privy to seeing. But what have you heard about the reaction from the Warriors and, and, and the other component here being James Wiseman? You've got this young guy who gets drafted second overall and has just had, you know, obstacle and hurdle and setback to his career, going back to the days in college in Memphis to his Warriors tenure. Um, the idea of him coming back in the building. You know, and having to get put through that kind of a thing was obviously just incredibly uh, less than ideal. But you know, Joe and that whole group having to unpack all of that. You know, how do you think that process went? Yeah, I mean, it was first of all, it was already a very tense deadline for them, right? I mean, like they're having a disappointing season. Everyone kind of knows this like two timeline clash that's going on, and um, the the fact that the Wiseman had been DNPs, like healthy DNPs lately, and and we all know that that. You know, they invested the second overall pick, but also like Joe Lacob was a very vocal proponent of James Wiseman, still is a believer in James Wiseman long term, but had, you know, I guess finally come to agree that that it was, you know, necessary to get off James Wiseman, despite Lacob's current belief that James Wiseman will still be a player to help this team this season. And to do that, they decided to not, you know, rope in a four team deal, which, by the way, could have got them Sadiq Bay if they wanted, but they wanted somebody they knew could plug and play into the system. So they went, you know, flashback hunting basically and, and got Gary Payton the second. Um, and part of that, part of Joe Lake of relinquishing Wiseman and, and the dream of James Wiseman, we can even call it was okay, fine. Gary Payton's going to be on the floor Saturday night against the Lakers and let's go, you know, chase down the four seed or something like that. And then Joe Lacob is told, no, he's actually going to miss, you know, at least a month, perhaps, you know, the rest of the regular season. Uh, and that is something that does not, you know, make Joe Lacob very happy. And he's he is uh, an outwardly emotional guy, we will say. Uh, and he was very much behind the scenes. Emo, as the kids say. <laughs> he, he was talking directly to the league, from what I gather, and 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 
exploring all courses of action because, you know, because they did it right at the deadline, there wasn't a way to amend or back out or, you know, well, I should say there was a way to back out. You fail the physical, but you walk James Wiseman back in the building. But from my understanding, even all the way up to Joe Lacob, there was an understanding like this would be not good for the Warriors to walk James Wiseman back in the building. And it also would not be good for James Wiseman. We could even get to that trade a little bit later, but it was clear James Wiseman needed a fresh start. And, you know, the Hawks are involved here too, right? They were doing some tax maneuvering and they got Sadiq Bay and all these picks. And there was just so many parties involved that it just became clear to them they couldn't just completely undo the deal. So now they've gone down this road of like a formal complaint and, and see what that comes of it. Although, quick shout out, John Hollinger. Uh, I, I love John's coverage in general. John is always good for one punchline in every single column and he killed him one? when he wrote I feel I feel like you're underselling him with at one. least one at least one you know that it, you're not going to waste your time reading the column because you're going to at least chuckle at some point point. and John had a line about the deadline and broadly speaking the idea that you know it's a little silly that all these teams wait until the deadline to always make these moves and there's an argument to be made that maybe everybody should move up the order of business a little bit because of you know nightmare scenarios like this one where when you have to wait for the physical um, you know, if, if, if you do it at the deadline, then you're screwed. If something happens on the physical on the back end and his line that he dropped was that, you know, it's like a, a guy shopping for Christmas gifts at the circle K on December 24th, you know, and, and people looking at you like, bro, you, you knew the holiday was coming. Like you knew this was the date. And so, you know, but that is, that's the way the whole league functions. And we don't see stuff like this very often. Uh, before we start making our way around the league, I do want you kind of alluded to it. Let's unpack the the Wiseman Detroit side of this thing, man. Like the Pistons have obviously got this interesting young core, trying to build something out there and and bet big on rising talents and and hope that they strike with a couple of these players. This is like you know uh, analogous to, or or you know similar to the Marvin Bagley pickup, where you know the Kings had not had any luck with with their prize draft pick and and now. Bagley goes out to Detroit. Um, you know, Wiseman out there. Just how do you see uh, the, the rest of his career now that he's out from the Warriors' walls? Well, f- it sounds like they're going to play him, which is step one for James Wiseman. Minutes, NBA minutes. You know, because he's he's in you know nearing the end of his third season and he's played sixty NBA games. So, like, really, from experience wise, he's still like kind of in his rookie year. He missed fourteen months with a meniscus tear that had kind of complications and and swelling um and not only that i mean he was already considered one of the raw prospects that's come out in a long time right three college games and he just needs to feel nba basketball he has these rare size speed you know at times touch like tools but it needs a lot of work to become an actual winning nba player uh, you know, you can look at all the numbers over his, his short career with the Warriors and how, like, basically every lineup he was in tanked. And and then you could just use the eye test, like, particularly him on the defensive end, the way he, that teams would exploit him. So I like that he's going to a losing team in a sense where, you know, the the, the last month and a half, two months for the Pistons, like, if if James Wiseman's on the floor and a team goes on an 11-2 run, Steve Kerr's calling timeout and getting James Wiseman out of the game. Dwayne Casey does not need to do that, right? They could lose by 30 tomorrow, but as long as James Wiseman gets good, you know, 25 developmental minutes, that's great. So I like that aspect of it. I, in some ways, could you know, I would like to see him with Cade Cunningham maybe uh, in the longer term when Cade's back next season. Now the stranger part though is right; they're pretty 
stacked up in the front court. They drafted they drafted Jalen Duran, 19-year-old center, who seems to be their center of the future. Isaiah Stewart's kind of starting at the four, but he's kind of a five-man too. Uh, and then what's what's kind of ironic a little bit considering former second, you know, number two overall pick lefty big man. Marvin Bagley, they traded for him at the deadline last year and then signed with what three years, 37 million. So he's still in the picture. So in some ways, I like the fit for James Wiseman from a low stakes environment, but part of me doesn't because, like, unless he's just leaping those guys and, like, he's suddenly become it's the crowded. priority. Yeah, yeah. No, it's crowded. Well, and you wonder, I mean, the Bagley ripple effect is going to be part of this one way or the other. Um, all right, let's let's keep let's go make the rounds. If I would have told you last week that we were going to spend the, the first twenty minutes of the post trade deadline pod talking about Gary Payton, I, I think you would have been wondering what the hell was going on. Well, should, should I take host roles? Let me flip it to you. Like, let's what do is? It, brother. I assume you're going to start in Phoenix, but like, what's your big? I'll start wherever you want. We had fireworks. We got big names. We we got plenty to get well, into. I want to start where you want to start. We did the we did the the first chunk on the the Peyton deal. What is your biggest takeaway from the deadline, my friend? I say let's start uh, because you and I got a glimpse at this uh, together in person. Let's yeah. let's start in the middle of the country, the Dallas Mavericks and the Kyrie Irving Luka Doncic pairing. Yeah, yeah, we watched uh, Mavericks, Kings, and Sacramento on Friday night, and then I actually didn't go to the Saturday night game when D- Luca and De'Aaron Fox debuted. But I will tell you, post game, so the Warriors are the five thirty Warriors Lakers game on ABC. It ends post game gets done. The media room, like whoever's like left writing, there's probably like twelve of us watched the final five minutes of regulation and the overtime, and everyone like that was a really good game Saturday night. Kings, that was a Mavericks, really good game. Yeah, honestly, it was, it was a couple thoughts there, like. From an entertainment value standpoint, you know how crusty we get media wise. Like we, 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 it's hard to move the needle in terms of basketball enjoyment. You see some good ball, you enjoy it, but you see so much, you're a little bit numb to it. Kyrie, late in that game, late fourth quarter, um, when he, I think he dribbles right, spins left with Sabona switched out on him, and and a fadeaway, you know, twelve footer off the glass. Uh, to keep the Mavs right there was the kind of Kyrie classic vintage incredible shot that reminded me how just absurdly talented this guy is. And on press row, it's been a long time since I saw a bunch of reporters react the way that they and we did, where everybody immediately jumping kind of to your left and right, looking at each other going, oh my God, like that was absurd. And that's the Kyrie show, right? Like he's got that kind of box office value and talent. Um, that was one of many nights that night that it, it was fun. It was fun to watch he and Luca have to figure each other out. Who's going to shoot the last shot, things of that nature, the Kings. So, yeah, that's where I wanted yeah. to go with it. And, yeah. and since you were there, I did want to ask you about that. It, that was, it was crazy because it was the first game they played together, but it was a great peak already where yeah. Kyrie was the one that had it going late. But, yep. you know, part of the reason the Kings end up winning the game is because they did go to Luka at times for, and, and, you know, for his slower isolation, he was getting the step back three more contested. And, uh, he, you know, he's coming back from a pretty painful heel injury, it seems like. And it just... It, didn't he admit post game like yeah it probably should have been Kyrie late? He did, yeah, and that's the the takeaway for the Mavs big picture is that all right you lost the game but it's a little bit like you you lost the battle you might win the war because in, as far as their talking points and what they said afterwards it was very healthy dialogue if that makes sense like you had Kyrie saying you know it, it's Luca and you know that it was his read on that step back three that Luca missed. Uh, you know, big shot at the end of the game. 
And, you know, Kyrie chose to give that last shot to Luka. Luka responds to that by saying that Kyrie was cooking and I should have found a way to get it back to him. So they both deferred publicly about this, you know, who should have shot the ball. Um, and I think they'll find their way. It's interesting, though. You can tell that they they really don't have any relationship, like almost no relationship. And, you know, you add into that the fact that Luka, by nature, is just kind of known to be He's just, I mean, he's he has fun when he plays on the practice court, the shoot-around game. He's a fairly light guy. He's intense when the game time comes. But he's not the biggest talker in terms of, you know, talking through all of the team's issues. You talk to their coaches, and he's a little LeBron-esque when it comes to, like, he's always listening, he's always seeing, he's, his IQ is through the roof. But, you know, it feels like with he and Kyrie, they're going to just have to feel their way through this situation together. It's not going to be, you know, dinners at steakhouses talking about how we succeed and thrive and flourish as a team. It's it's going to have to be on feel, um, and we'll see where it goes. But, you know, Luca was tired, like you kind of alluded to the injury aspect. You know, he admitted afterwards that he was gassed, um, and uh, and the Kings squeak it out. But, but yeah, it was a fun little sneak for sure. Yeah, and I don't know that them not having a relationship is a bad thing. might even be a good thing, right? I mean – relationships with past teammates haven't necessarily, you know, he's very friendly with Kevin Durant and that situation blew up. Right. So, um, yeah. Well, I'm looking at it here I, and I was trying to remember the stat to your point about how Kyrie was hot and maybe he should have shot, you know, all the big shots at the end. Luca didn't score in the fourth. Um, he was over one in the entire fourth quarter, you know, and then, and, and that kind of shows you how gassed he was. And then an, an OT hits one shot, two points, um, and Kyrie was hot, and that's fine. I think next time Luca is going to know that you know it's okay to give Kyrie that ball. But that dynamic, real quickly, is it's going to be interesting. I watched a um, a TV interview locally that was from one of the Dallas TV stations that I found online right after the trade, right. And Mark Cuban uh, was breaking it down, and it surprised me a little bit. He makes a comment on there where he says, "Listen," he was just analyzing the trade. He says, uh, "You know, we already felt like we had the number one ball handler." In basketball, in Luca, now we feel like we, we, you know, we have the second best ball handler, and I've got to go. <laughs> wait a minute now, like that, that you got to flip that. Like Kyrie is the best ball handler in the game, but it shows you that you know, no matter how you attack it, like the Mavs are going to remain a Luca centric fr- franchise. You know what I mean? This is Luca's team. Kyrie's got to find a way to fit in. It's a it's a trial run for the next few months heading into free agency, and and there's already all kinds of noise around the league where people feel like. You know, if you're if you're a betting man and you figure out what's going to happen here, that you know there's probably more money on Kyrie going somewhere else this summer than there is on him staying. And but a big part of that is is how do they function together? Yeah, I mean, you spend a couple of days around the Mavs in general, and and just some of the thinkers around the Mavs. What is how? What's your feeling uh, coming off that? Like just on how they feel about the deal? I mean, it reeked of desperation, right? Sure. Um, what are you, it's. I just it think it's good. It did look good early. It looked good. I mean, there was some some lighthearted comments, you know, but there was truth in these comments about the timing of the trade. Like you talk about my whole speech about how teams should operate, you know, earlier in trade season. Well, the Mavs would probably argue like that they went a little too early because next thing you know, teams like the Suns countered with Kevin Durant and 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 you know the West. You know, even the Clippers, Lakers doing what they did, like the West got better. Most of that action happened, you know, not only after the Kyrie to Dallas 
trade, but, you know, partly in response to, I think, you know, um, where those dominoes started falling. So the timing was interesting because they had the headlines, they had the spotlight for a, a good minute early on. It looked like they were a new power in, in the West. And then you kind of, the rest of the West said, hold my beer and, and here we go. Um, that was part of the conversation. And then they they feel incredibly confident in their ability to partner with Kyrie from a human standpoint because of the relationships in their group. If you talk about Nico Harrison heading their front office, you know, longtime former Nike executive who worked with Kyrie in the Nike space and and is, has, you know, renowned relationships with star players, very close with Kyrie, that's a, a stark contrast to Kyrie's relationship with Sean Marks in Brooklyn. That's a, a big factor. Jason Kidd... And not only the friendship and partner partnership that he can have with Kyrie, but really from Kyrie's side, like the respect and and kind of the way that he reveres Jason's career and is known to have been a big time fan of Jason's. So that part, managing the situation, make the most of it, they have a lot of confidence and they don't seem too consumed with what happens in the summer. I think with a guy like Luca, where they know that you gotta surround him with talent, uh, they decided that you know, just like they had with Porzingis before, that this Dinwiddie uh, kind of approach with Dorian Finney-Smith heading to Brooklyn, that you know that was uh, that had reached its kind of end, and they wanted to take a, a calculated risk with Kyrie. Well, let's move to the other, you know, side of this coin where it did kind of trigger the Kevin Durant move to Phoenix, which they become the most interesting team in the league the rest of the season it seems and i've already seen you know i've i saw the video of kevin durant walking out in that suns you know hoodie with the big suns logo on his chest it was somewhat of a jarring sight that oh this is really happening you know kevin durant on the suns i mean now at this point we're talking about his fourth team which i ne- you know covering him in oklahoma city back in the day and how connected it seemed like he was to the thunder and then even that first season with the warriors i never w- would have predicted this you know dominant run that would remain as far as a player goes but kind of nomadically doing it right to his fourth team a lot of times when you see nba legends like kevin durant is going team to team late in their career it's like oh you know he's kind of lose you know you're seeing it with Russell Westbrook a little bit right right it's like right. oh he's kind of lost it and they keep trying with teams and it isn't working it's like no everywhere he goes he like remains a top 5 player but he's still going place to place to place and it's just right. going to be fascinating to see him in Phoenix I'm with you uh I think it's going to be fun and I wrote the night of the trade that I was happy for Kevin um don't normally get my feelings like that but I do feel like a guy that talented, a guy that good, you know, you see it with LeBron. We talk about is LeBron wasting time in Lakerland and, and he's still playing at such a high level. You you just kind of hate seeing elite players who are in either non-competitive situations or dysfunctional situations. At the end of the day, with a lot of this stuff, you take away the drama and a lot of the stuff that we end up reporting on talking about, like it is about the basketball and Kevin Durant is going to reach an age where he can't do the things that he can still do right now. And I would like to see him, in a position to to thrive and be at his best. I think that's a general sentiment that most people who enjoy the game would agree with. And so that Phoenix environment with a clean slate on the ownership front with Matt Ishbia coming in, you know, just, I mean, you talk about, it's a whole different pod, but like the way Matt attacked uh, trying to own, buy the Suns and, and was trying to buy teams all over the place, the Milwaukee Bucks, teams in other sports, Matt comes in incredibly ambitious, aggressive, wanting to be part of the sports world. 
and then waste no time swinging for the fences. And, you know, the sense I got on his side was he comes in there, he, he, he learns pretty quickly that Durant is a possibility. He's kind of polling people kind of around the room, like, you know, obviously trying to know what he doesn't know. He, he played the game a bit. He knows, you know, a, a decent amount about basketball, but he wanted other opinions. Is, is this the right way to go? Um, liked what he heard and he pulled the trigger on it. And, what I love about it is I have a good feel for their group. And I do think personality wise um, and style wise, I like it with Chris Paul and Devin Booker and even Deandre Aiden, who we've had, you know, they've had a roller coaster relationship with. I think Deandre is probably going to lock in and, and play his role and just try to see what they can do this year. Um, they're going to be dangerous. I don't know that I would make them my title favorite, but they're on the short list for sure. And, and capable of winning. Well, I think the whole I thing. would. To be honest, um, you know the Durant trade. I just hate doing that when you when you it's haven't so hard. Seen him. You've, you haven't seen it, yeah. Yeah, I mean, no, we've I never agree. seen Devin Booker have to adjust the way he's going to have to. And Chris, you know, Chris's play this year has been up and down at times. It's like, damn, he's leading the league in assists. Like, how he's about been, the uh, Chris Paul week where you know the sliding doors moment for him? If Phoenix is in on the Kyrie deal, and and he would have right. been involved in that, and then right. maybe goes to Brooklyn, and still Brooklyn blows it up, and then he, you know, maybe he's we're talking about him as a buyout or something like that, where you know this happens, and now you know the closest he's ever been to a title is up two zero on the Bucks, but you know this is as his window is not that, closed, yeah, as much as you could taste it if you're if you're Chris Paul. Um, you know the the Durant trade drops Wednesday night, not on deadline day, right when right after Warriors Blazers had ended, and I'm in the Warriors locker room, and it is like spreading like wildfire. Like everyone in there in that Warriors locker room, like, are you? Can you believe this? No way. Like for who? Um, and it's funny you mentioned Ishbi. Draymond Green, shockingly, Michigan State ties, had yep. some opinions. Yeah, and the first thing he said, he's like, "That's Michigan State. That's what we do at Michigan State. You know, we get <laughs> stuff done." You know, you, is, is, wait a minute, is Draymond trying to take recruiting credit here somehow from another franchise? He was that just he got the, Kevin Durant. He was Suns? shouting out, yeah, right. He was shouting out his school, but then there was also definitely a realization in the room. Of I like, told Kevin to go there. You know, part of the Warriors' optimism, despite their struggles this season, has been like, eh, nobody in the West really scares us, right? You know, like, just right. if we get it together, there was definitely more of a seriousness in the room of like, oh, oh, okay, we like we right. might be dealing with something that we didn't think we were going to have to deal with that West. Well, I forget who tweeted this. I think it was a player, but somebody tweeted about, remember the, the John Morant quote about, he said, now nah, we fine in the West. When he said that on ESPN, I think it was, um, yeah. And someone said, "Man, all this because Josh had the nerve to say we fine in the West. Like the Grizzlies aren't fine in the West, and if they're not fine in the West, the Warriors damn sure aren't fine in the West. You know, the the slander that continues to come Denver's way. And I know, you know, Slater, you're not a believer, but we cannot forget like Denver's still out there playing some pretty elite basketball and leading the conference. Um, but the West all of a sudden is absolutely packed." Denver just added Reggie Jackson in the buyout market. And Thomas Bryant, brother, come on now. There you go. Thomas they didn't make Bryant. a splash at the deadline. There was that was the other part of the deadline, and maybe we could shift to this a little bit. But the lack of like Toronto movement, Memphis not being able to you know get an OG trade done, and suddenly like they're just kind of on nibbling on the fringes with Luke Kennard, and you know the Pelicans didn't juice up an upgrade, and then now you hear this. News about Zion missing. Uh, You're not a Josh Richardson believer for New Orleans. 
Those are fringe moves. Yes. Fringe moves that don't move the needle. Durant moves the needle. Kyrie moves the needle. OG and OG would have moved the needle. Would have yeah. moved the needle. Um, there were some teams that just didn't move the needle. No, I agree. The Toronto stuff was weird. You know, I I can't remember in recent history so much noise on the front office level about a team like Toronto that had so many good players that other teams were hoping would be available. And then us thinking that it must be a smokescreen, at least in terms of some of these guys. Like, surely they have to move OG. And and he was the one people focused on because he's kind of widely known not to be ecstatic with his role. And, and it was made clear to me like he – he could be fine in Toronto uh, from a happiness level, but he's he's definitely on the lookout for a bigger role. So you know, a lot of times when that, those are the dynamics, then a team just you know decides to move off that guy. That didn't happen, even though the market seems to have been really ro- robust. It seemed like Memphis went after him really hard, New Orleans as well, I believe. Um, Warriors, Warriors were, were Warriors in ran on that too. Yeah, um, so that that was the biggest surprise. You know, Pascal. It's funny because these things are intersecting. Like the Pascal OG on court fit is, I think, one of the reasons that people thought that they would get off one or the other, and they didn't. And and both those guys have incredibly robust markets around the league, but they kind of stand pat. So that was a surprise um, in our backyard, you know, because we end up inevitably talking about the old Beam team in Sacramento. You know, they don't end up doing much of anything uh you know but it did i did learn a little on the back end about some of the stuff they were getting into their biggest disappointment if you will i think was they were pretty locked in on on the the vanderbilt uh possibility and when that four-team deal the westbrook trade was coming together i think there was some hope that it was going to fall apart on the minnesota side with mike conley going to the to the wolves and uh and that they would pick up you know, kind of the scraps from there. I think they had a couple of seconds out for Vanderbilt. Thought he would fit really well. That didn't happen. You know, Matisse Thibel didn't happen with them. Um, so one of those teams that didn't end up doing anything big. Let's throw it to an ad break, Mr. Amick, before we finish the rest of the pod. Let's do it. What are we hitting on the other side of the pod, though? We got to do the old teaser. Yeah, I mean, what? Do you want to do a couple mini trades? Maybe talk a little of like any buyout candidates that interest you? The Russell Westbrook situation? I I would Let's I talk, would ask you, what do you re- still want to talk about with this player movement week? I mean, Fred Katz is uh is not with us on this week's pod. Um and so in in true, you know, giving Fred Katz a hard time fashion, I think we got to talk Russell Westbrook and uh Lakers, but also, you know, where Russ might go next. I think that's worth getting into and our guy uh, Darnell Mayberry covering the Bulls wrote a good piece about that today. So we will, we will do that on the other side. Don't just ride the index. Seek to outperform it with Fidelity Active ETFs. Learn more at fidelity.com slash active ETFs. Before investing in any exchange-traded fund, you should consider its investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Contact Fidelity for a prospectus, an offering circular, or if available, a summary prospectus containing this information. Read it carefully. While active ETFs offer the potential to outperform an index, these products may more significantly trail an index as compared with passive ETFs. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC, member NYSE, SIPC. All right, Slater, we're back. Uh, it's not a tampering pod unless we somehow, some way, find a way to talk about the L.A. Lakers. They, uh, I was in L.A. last week, and uh, uh, the the fatigue you might hear in my voice is it's been a minute since I went to four consecutive games. It was a back-to-back-to-back-to-back. So we go Mavs, Clippers, Lakers, Bucks, then up the coast to 
Mavs Kings, Mavs Kings. But those first two games, um, you know, uh, looking at the Lakers as Le- right after LeBron, of course, breaks the all-time scoring record, the new pieces from their trade uh, trades had not been to town yet. And so you're, you're kind of just trying to get eyes on what the Lakers look like. But the key thing, of course, as far as their season to this point, is no more Russell Westbrook. You know, they send him to Utah in that deal, uh, you know, still, I think, expected to be bought out, even though the Jazz have said that they, uh, you know, they're keeping their options open and both sides were still talking. Um, but the Westbrook ending in Lakerland that myself and, and Jovan Buha wrote a lot about a couple days back, um, you know, I mean, just just a, a really, really tough chapter for Russ, a guy that's had an incredible career. And that was, there's part of me that says he made a lot of mistakes in his time there. It's also part of me that says, you know, he was scapegoated uh, for parts of his time there. And in the end, it, it got pretty uncomfortable. Um, and, and again, we wrote all about that. Um, and, and now we'll see what he does because he's a guy who I believe he's 34. Does that sound right? Um, yes, that sounds correct. Yeah, and and you know it's it's uh, it's an it's an a vet a la Carmelo Anthony who has got to figure out if he can extend his career and and still be an impact player. And whether it's Chicago, the Clippers, the Heat, uh, what are your thoughts on on what Russ should be looking at here? Yeah, you know it's. It, the the Chicago and the Clippers aspect are you, you're linking him to his more glory days and and people he was connected to, which is Paul George, who has publicly advocated, which you very rarely see, right, right. Um, for Russell Westbrook, and then Billy Donovan in Chicago, and you know you've mentioned Darnell, you know writing a story about that. Darnell also covered Russell Westbrook in, in right. Oklahoma City. He knows that connection. Um, the Miami one, you don't have a. Um, former coach or player necessarily, but like Miami's environment does seem very Russell Westbrook-y, right? I mean, he keeps himself in elite shape. He's like OCD on his like preparedness for for games. And um, I feel like him and Pat Riley, like, you know, might butt heads, but also love each other. You know how like a lot of the players that succeed in the heat environment, even Jimmy Butler, we could say, who has succeeded in his heat career. Like he has his dust-ups with Spolstra and Riley even, but it's like... It's out of like, you know, tenacity of competition. And um, Russell Westbrook's mindset fits what Miami is about. Um, now, is Russell Westbrook, can he help them on the court? I don't know. But Kyle Lowry's been a disappointment and, and they do need help. Like they, they seem like they're spinning their tires a little bit. So I like Miami as an option. I like Chicago just because, again, like they kind of need a jolt to life. I'm not saying Westbrook will definitely give it to them, but it's at least worth a shot at a minimum pro rated deal. Whereas the Clippers, I don't like the fit personally. I couldn't agree more. Uh, I know it's, you know, more fun for podcast purposes to have vehement disagreements, but I think I'm in agreement with you, brother. Like uh, the Clippers won, they have too much invested in the Kawhi Leonard, Paul George driven approach to add in a new, you know, player of this magnitude, this personality, this profile. In L.A. Westbrook. too, right? Down the hallway, which In L.A., really... man. He's going to be in his feelings about how the Lakers chapter ended the media. I mean, even the media components later. Like, you're, you're going to be looking at a lot of the same faces who go to Clippers games and Lakers games. You don't get the clean cut from that chapter. You're, you're going to, you know, have hard feelings left over that are, I think, a little more fresh. Because guess what? You're still playing inside Crypto.com Arena. Um, the Chicago one, you know, you unpacked the heat one really well. And I do agree, like heat culture 
you know, in a lot of ways is, has got a lot of kind of common threads with Russell Westbrook culture. Um, Pat Riley, more than anybody in the league feels like, you know, give him a 800 pound giant. He can tame it. You know what I mean? That's kind of how he's wired because he, he thinks he can connect with guys on a championship level. I would enjoy seeing that. Um, the Bulls won, though, and I was around, like you were, the Thunder chapter with Billy Donovan and Russell Westbrook. It's a really good partnership. You know what I mean? Like a, a really, really strong connection between those guys. You know, it's guys. funny. Both of his Thunder coaches, Donovan and Scott Brooks, yeah, he's, he's connected. And genuine. And not to like, you know, kind of, you know, he spill the tea like we sometimes do. But like sometimes coaches, they're saying one thing publicly and then we get them privately and it's a totally different story you know what i mean that was not the case with billy and, and russ like you talked to billy privately and and he was just blown away by russ's work ethic blown away by his intensity and and billy is one of those guys that like has very little tolerance for not competing every minute you know on the floor on both ends of the floor and russ set the tone for their team and of course that mvp season where he was carrying them and 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 really the now the I do what I want season. Now I do what right. I want. Remember when he came out with that song post Durant? <laughs> now I do what I want. And he the probably shouldn't be the season. anthem in Chicago if he goes there. Oh, <laughs> uh, now I do what I want. Oh man. But these a- Bulls, you talk you talked earlier about like the Mavs doing the Kyrie deal partly based on desperation. The Bulls are desperate cuz they're another team that didn't blow things up at the deadline like Toronto. They're another team with stars in Zach Levine and DeMar DeRozan who are are not fitting all that well like they had in the beginning of their time together. Um, you know, rumblings about maybe Zach being on the move. I mean, he was tied to the Lakers heading into the trade deadline, um, you know, partly because he's a clutch client like LeBron and AD. But, you know, a lot of angst with the Bulls situation. And if you're not going to blow it up, then you might as well, you know, try to salvage it because, you know, the calculus should be, you know, again, in Westbrook style, why not? What do we have to lose? And the Bulls, in my opinion right now, don't have much to lose because they don't have momentum. They don't have growth. They have regression. And they have a very short timeline to where maybe this summer, you know, at some point in the near future, they're probably going to have to make these tough calls and move on from some of these people. I mean, what better way to, to you know, take one last flyer on a guy who might be a game changer in Russ because you have Lonzo Ball out you have a void, and I'm stealing some of this from Darnell's column. You have a void in leadership qualities, uh, a void in intensity, a team that is playing lackluster basketball too often. You know, so you might not have the prettiest version of the game uh, when Russ is out there, but you're going to have the intensity and some of those things that they're missing. Yeah, and one of the problems for w- with the Russell Westbrook experience in LA was the contract and. Which you know, because of what what a big salary piece he was for what forty four million something like that, um, that comes to the level of stature in the locker room and and, and importance to solve the problems that right. are going on. Whereas he now you know if he does get bought bought out by Utah and even probably moving forward the next few seasons, he's probably going to be a minimum guy in the buyout market. Maybe he can play his way into you know mid-level type money but like from here on out in his career he's he's much lower salary which means much lower stakes if you bring him in because if it's not working you can just send him away and it's it's really not that big of a penalty um so that should you would think motivate him to make it work more than maybe it had been like the the not to mention like like just the humans part of this slater is like we all 
like how you how you came into a certain group is always going to form and shape how you move within that group. Meaning, you know, he didn't forget that like when he came to the Lakers a couple a couple summers ago that he was getting wine and dined by LeBron James and Anthony Davis and and like part of these kind of off-season superstar recruitment meetings where he was treated like the all-time great that he is. And then when it went south, you know, and I think relatively quickly, he started getting the kind of, you know, second tier treatment and 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 treated again like he was the problem and the fans and the media were tough on him. Um, this would be wholly different. This would be, like you said, coming in with a, a much different, um, you know, salary scale, much different clout scale. But I think it could be good because those guys, my experience with the Rosen to a lesser degree, Levine, you hear good things about Zach. You know, I think they're personality-wise the kind of guys that are going to show him respect let him have his space and let him have his role if they go that route and do something with him. And I think it could be it could be interesting. And again, like what do they got to lose? Like they're not scaring anybody right now. I agree. Uh, I just wanted to make a quick since we mentioned it in the podcast. Now it sounds like Gary Payton the second will not talk tonight. Steph Curry is actually going to talk tonight uh, pregame. So I right. just wanted well, to to note that the analysis holds up. Uh, let's finish on this. What what other moves? There were a bunch of them, but uh, in terms of game changing impact moves, even if they're they're not star names. Uh, which ones might have gotten your attention? Um, I was at the Lakers' first game, and uh, no LeBron doesn't play. Davis, like Anthony Davis, protected the rim well in the fourth quarter, but generally did not have a good offensive night. And the Lakers beat the Warriors in a game that the Warriors at home were really going for. Uh, obviously, didn't have Steph, but... Uh, I just, you know, Jared Vanderbilt provided some good energy off the bench. Malik Beasley can shoot it. Um, D'Angelo Russell played a controlled, you know, efficient game. And I know I read some of what Yovan has written about it, but was like working the pick and roll with Davis, you know, pretty well. And that's that's an upgrade from that just downhill Russell Westbrook, like, you know, hunting at hunting the rim at all times, or even Patrick Beverly, who's like obviously not an offensive threat. And it's just the mix is very much different for the Lakers. And you could just it was one game, no LeBron, but you can just see like, okay, this is the last mix didn't work. I have no idea if this one will, but I'd say the first taste of it was slightly encouraging. No, I can buy that. I mean, the the Russell one is funny to me, man. Like, like I can't remember a guy who you know. Sometimes we play that game on social media, whatever, where you you post stats and you don't attach the name to the stats, and then you just try to see if p- people can figure out who that is. Like, if you post D'Angelo Russell's stats the past couple of months, you know you'd have most of the league coming to try to get this dude. You know what I mean? Then you add the name, which comes with. Some of the history, some of the inconsistency, some of the personality where, you know, questions about just kind of the, the way he moves. Um, and because when that deal went down and I was at, you know, the Lakers game when it went down or Clippers game, rather, I'm sorry, like basketball people's reaction was Vanderbilt. Cool. Good for the Lakers. Beasley. Cool. Good for the Lakers. Russell. Oh, no. Like and, and, and again, that's a little surprising because you're comparing him in terms of the pieces here to Russ, like really like it's not an upgrade. Like D'Angelo has been playing well, but there's still, you know, reputation wise, he's got work to do as far as how he's perceived. But if it continues like it did in that Warriors game, I could see that being an okay fit. I mean, he's a, you know, far, far better shooter than Russ uh, Westbrook is. And, you know, he knows the organization, which doesn't matter that much, but I do think that personal tie and that history of D'Angelo having been drafted there, 
coming back, you know, seemingly a little older, a little wiser is, is those things are not bad, uh, you know, outside factors to consider. Uh, I think, you know, in the end, they can get off from the summer. This, this could just like, if it's not working, be a, yeah, one and a half month thing, and then well, we could do a whole pot on this, but I do think they, in terms of Lakers planning, Lakers future, they Rob Palenka did a really nice job of effectively improving the team now, also showing LeBron James that he did some good work and he's not sitting on his hands and he's willing to put the two first rounders out there like they did in the Kyrie trade talks, and so it cut into some of that stuff that I've written about and talked to LeBron about that the Lakers weren't willing to really go for it. But it also, based on the guys they got, they still have a ton of flexibility this summer to to either reinvest in some of the new guys and go that route where you're you're adding depth and role players, or they can still pivot and go the star route based on their cap situation. And those are decisions for another day. But, I mean, they'll be interesting down the stretch. I mean, LeBron missing the first two games post-trade deadline is not great with his foot injury. So, you know, their, their odds of actually making noise here are getting lessening by the day, but uh, I did like what they did. Yeah. Um, and if, if we look across the league, I mean, there's not a ton of other ones that you feel like shook up title teams. I mean, Jay Crowder to Milwaukee like that. I'm curious how Jay Crowder looks, you know, he hasn't played in so long. Um, they yeah. felt good about it. I talked to the bucks about that. I mean, they, you know, they, they worked him out. I think a couple times they, you know, for what it's worth, they they felt good. They obviously felt good. They did the deal. Um, the the Bucks to me. How funny is that, by the way? That like Jay Crowder's just working out for the Bucks in Milwaukee, and like clearly has been. You know, it's a, he's been allowed to to talk to the Bucks, but he is working out for the Bucks while he is being traded from the Suns to the Nets. Like right, 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 right. Funny. But go ahead. Nah, just he's a good a veteran piece where they need you know another another versatile wing defender to to help them with the Jason Tatum's and the Jalen Browns of the world when the playoffs come around. Um, a guy who it's funny it's for you know how teams a lot of times get their judgment colored by specific games a guy might have against them or specific series. And so, despite the fact that Jay was obviously part of that Suns Bucks Finals, it sounds like that the Bucks series against Miami in the bubble was the more impactful. One in terms of his reputation and, and how the Bucks saw Jay, that you know the the work he did, uh, you know in that series on Giannis and the rest of the team was kind of the lasting memory that that had something to do with the way they saw the possibility of getting him. Uh, so they feel good about that, and I think we still are. You know, we we are in the media guilty of focusing on the shiny objects, the stars, and I mean, I joked about Denver before and how I do think they're very good and actual title contenders. Milwaukee, I'm going to keep saying it. Like we we keep overlooking them because Boston has been out front all year from a record standpoint, and they're the team that was in the finals last. But having just seen the Bucks uh, in that win over the Clippers, and I think they're at ten in a row now. Um, Giannis just playing his tail off, and Chris Middleton looking like Chris Middleton again. Now getting the Crowder addition, um, they got a lot going for him. And you know, to me, you're absolutely on that short list. Yep. Anything else? I mean, Celtics, they got Mike Muscala, like, for, for big man depth, but didn't do anything that significant. Um, no, I like the Muscala move. I mean, you know, more shooting is not a bad thing. Um, you know, I saw some surprise, and this is Andrew Schleck's special, but, like, you know, in the Thunder's willingness to part ways with, with Mike since they've actually been winning games lately. Um so got I think Dario he Sarge him. in there, who I thought might have been a buyout candidate, but it sounds like Dario Sarge is going to be 
in the Mike Muscala role, almost you could say, as like kind of the veteran backup big. Got him for Darius Baisley, who goes to the Suns. There you go. No, probably my last thought, Slater, and, and I'll let you get out of here. But um, on the Wolves, it's it's a subtle move, but I like the the Mike Conley addition to Minnesota. I'm I'm just really curious to see if that helps Rudy Gobert's comfort level. And it's also it's a weird landscape because it's you know they they started this thing with new ownership, Mark Lore and Alex Rodriguez kind of transitioning in with the idea that at first that it, this is Carl Anthony Towns's franchise and then pretty quickly it was like oh okay hold on it's Anthony Edwards franchise and Carl's still big part of it but now now we're going to trade for Rudy but now you have an addition of somebody like Mike Conley who played with Rudy in Utah knows him well plays extremely effective pick and roll basketball with him knows how to throw perfect lobs just knows how to play with Rudy you know it shows the degree to which they're invested in making this thing with Rudy work uh and and, and for trade purposes what I thought was so interesting about the trade talks that led to that deal was that idea that near the end, and you know this, like Minnesota seemed like they were contemplating at the end if they wanted to do it, pushing for more draft capital. And it made me laugh a little bit because it was like the rest of the league is well aware that for the purposes of the Timberwolves, Mike Conley's value was higher than it was for anybody else. He's a little bit of an X factor because they have Rudy. And and it was almost as if the Timberwolves were were hoping that people had forgotten that and would throw in an extra couple of seconds, you know, just to make it worth their while. But like the I actually continued think, ramifications of of what you would categorize as a bad deal, right? I mean, we saw it with Russell the Westbrook what ooh, Russell Westbrook situation in LA, but right, the domino effects of a of a bigger picture move that you make that doesn't work early on is like yeah. you know response moves in the league understanding why you know your what your motives are within these moves 100% but i do think mike is going to help them and and quietly you know with towns out for quite some time now you know they have been keeping their head above water as we do this pod they're 30 and 29 they're let's see i mean they're a game out of the 6 spot um so minnesota's still fighting the west is still just absurdly level from a parody standpoint and uh you know that might change once mr durant gets back but uh fun stuff man it was a good deadline yeah it was a lot of moves uh, so a lot of moves all right everybody we appreciate you thank you for listening as always we'll be back next week as we get a little closer to the playoffs later they're coming thank you guys <laughs>